1: doing so will help to create a better world for all of us and this podcast is all about that the guest on my podcast this week is perry mom co-founder and ceo of Frazy.
0: to synthesize our big idea into one statement is we believe that marketers can use technology to produce better coffee than they had done previously so what we have now is a very advanced deep learning system that can predict the efficacy of language before it's sent out. So when you combine those two technologies, what you got is uh, the most copywriter on the planet who can create more copy than a thousand monkeys on a thousand typewriters, along with the best predictor of effective copy in the world. What that means is our customers get a small amount of very effective copy every time they log into our platform go down the journey of an entire digital transformation project. So what we're actually doing is we're alleviating the the least favorite task, which humans are not well suited to just because we we get sort of desensitized or we we just sort of get bored of doing the same thing over and over. Uh So we take away that burden and we let humans focus on the copy that humans are good at. This is Perry. He's a co-founder and CEO of Frazy.
1: Frazy used AI to power email subject lines, Facebook and Instagram ads, and push notifications that outperform copy written by humans. Some of their global clients include Virgin, Domino's and The Times. Frazee won the 2017 Most Innovative AI Company by CB Insights, and was one of the first AI companies in the world to implement an AI ethics policy. Perry is a well-known digital marketing dude, as he calls himself, and also an unconventional thinker. He has worked for countless brands and media outlets to help them optimize their online results, and is one of the world's leading experts on email marketing. He started his career coding middleware for CRM software, then sent out millions of emails for global brands before running the strategic department for an ESP. He holds a BBA in marketing and statistics. It was indeed the unconventional approach Frazy is putting across that triggered me, hence I invited Perry to my podcast we explore how he and his team have created a new category, something that experts in the market perceive to be impossible. Talk about how Frazee's solution is creating a win-win for digital marketers and the business they represent, and what was required to achieve the level of impact they are creating today. By listening to this interview, you will learn three things. Firstly, how, with the right mindset and persistence, you can do what's never been done before and succeed. Secondly, why it can be a blessing to finish second in a pitching contest and as such have to hustle to win real customers and build a product which has a wide appeal. And thirdly, why creating human-machine combinations ultimately delivers more value than the sum of its components. So Perry, thank you for making the time today uh, to be a guest on my podcast. really appreciate it. But in order to, for the audience to get a, an idea about who you are and what drives you, can you give a little bit of an introduction?
0: Sure, my name is Perry Mellum and I'm the, the CEO and one of the founders of Frazy. And Frazy is AI that writes more effective marketing copy than humans. Uh, the best way to think about it is like this. If you guys get emails or push messages or, or serve Facebook ads from brands like eBay, Domino's or Virgin Holidays, then you've experienced our technology without knowing it. Uh, those brands use us globally to ensure that they use better language generated by a machine to get more cut through in the market and ultimately make more money for their online marketing ventures. Interesting.
1: Yeah. I, mean, I mean, <laughs> Sometimes you, you don't realize that there's actually, well, a machine behind what's being communicated to you. And it's, it's, a re- it's really about – we're at the States right now where this is possible, Right.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we started Phrasey, uh nearly four years ago. And when we first started, you know, a lot of people didn't even think that it was possible. And when I talk to people about Frazy now, and, and they realize that we're, you know, a business of, of decent scale. And, you know, we've taken on a fair a fair amount of investment. we've uh, We've got 51 people working for us. People go and look at it and they go, that's such a great idea. I wish I had thought of it. And I'm like, well, of course, it makes sense now, but when we first started, you know we were going all around town talking to all sorts of venture capitalists and investors and people and all this you know all these uh, self appointed experts, and they all said we were crazy, crazy like a fox, I say
1: yeah <laughs> so going back I mean I, I, I've understood what you're doing and that, that that is AI backing it up, but what is the big idea behind this? Why did it start in the first
0: place? Well, the story came from a real use case I mean my I'm a career marketer and I used to, uh, I was based in in Amsterdam for a few years and I was sending out uh, millions of different emails and, you know, I've got a a statistics background as well. So, you know, I used to always test things out and measure, you know, statistical confidence, all that kind of stuff. And always like when I tested out different bits of language, regardless of the advertising channel, one would always prove to be better. Uh-huh. So I tried to build a model as to why it was better. And I never really could because there's so many different uh, features in, in language. It's just very hard for a human brain or even, you know, an Excel whiz to actually work them out. Then I moved vendor side and I worked for an, an email marketing software company. And I talked to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of people, of marketers. And they would always ask me, like, what's a good subject line or, you know, what's a good copy to use in this given campaign? My answer was always just you know test out a bunch of stuff and see what happens and that always felt very i don't know intellectually impure so i got chatting with uh, an old university buddy of mine uh, dr neil Yagger, one of my two co-founders he was a phd in uh, ai research and after after about our fourth pint at a pub in uh, camden town in north london the idea struck so the lesson there obviously is become friends with very smart people in university, and then get them drunk. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, the magic, the magic
1: bullet here. So yeah, okay, I understand that. And from the big idea to to the product, I mean, the first product that you created was the focus specifically on creating. I mean, what what is what is it doing in in essence in the beginning? Yeah, well, like
0: to to synthesize our big idea into one statement is. We believe that marketers can use technology to produce better copy than they had done previously. So the first challenge there was to create a natural language generation system. So this is a a school of AI with which you can create a natural-sounding language. And that's actually a very hard technical problem. There's very few uh, companies in the world who are actively actively commercializing this form of, of technology, of whom... Now, once we uh, built that system, and it's, it's quite a, a sophisticated generation system, uh, according to our research, it's, it's, it's probably one of the top systems in the world, if not the top. Then it's about collecting a bunch of data. So we effectively got on a bunch of customers who paid us money to generate language. They then tested out a bunch of stuff, and we uh, applied some advanced modeling techniques. So what we have now is a very advanced deep learning system that can predict the efficacy of language before it's sent out. So wow. when you combine those two technologies, what you got is uh, the most luminous copywriter on the planet who can create more copy than a thousand monkeys on a thousand typewriters, <laughs> along with the best predictor of effective copy in the world. What that means is our customers get a small amount of very effective copy every time they log into our platform.
1: Well, okay. And what is the opportunity if you get this right? I mean. If you look at, for example, a number of your pretty impressive customer lists, one of them, for example, Virgin, or let me see, there's another one. You mentioned a couple in the beginning. From where they came to where they are right now, I mean, what is the difference they see?
0: Yeah, so I'll, I'll tell two stories here. The first of which is Virgin Holidays, uh, who were actually one of our first enterprise customers. We, we started working with them in uh, November 2015, so we were less than, less than a year old. And they brought us in and, and they just wanted to sort of, you know, they, they believed that testing and using better copy would, would have a real impact. So they started using us a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more. For the calendar year uh, 2017, they reported to us that Frazy directly resulted in more than £2 million incremental revenue right onto their top line number, which is pretty, pretty, a pretty impressive number. And what that did by showing these sort of low touch, high impact wins by using Frazy, it unlocked more budget for them to expand what they did with Frazy, but also to go down the journey of an entire digital transformation project. And if they hadn't had that sort of no quick win with Frazy, they would have never unlocked more budget from from the bean counters in the Ivory Tower. The second story there is with eBay. We've been working with eBay for oh, I think February will mark three years. So quite some time. In fact, we signed our first contract with eBay 23 minutes into our second year of trading. Uh, We had just had a big crazy birthday party and I got home after one or two or 22 beers and I checked my phone and lo and behold, 23 minutes into our second year, we just got a big contract through from eBay, which is really cool. Now, we we did a company conference a couple of months ago and we had a senior marketer uh, called Gareth Jones from eBay speaking there. I think he summed it up best. The exact quote is on our website somewhere, but it's something to the effect of: "Phrasing makes you more money, so you're more likely to get your bonus."
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that's something for the salespeople, of course, but it's, uh, it's definitely also something that marketeers will uh, will look after. I mean, one of the reasons why I started this podcast is to well, to share to share stories like uh, like yours that are about intelligence augmentation. I would say in and, and making people well, that are already good, better. And one of the things that you say on your website, it's, a, it's the go-to solution for ambitions, intelligence, and analytical marketers. So how, how does the solution actually augment them? Because you can also say, if this solution is writing better than I can, I'm out of a job.
0: Uh, well, yeah. So, so if somebody's entire job is like writing email subject lines or writing push messages... Then they should probably maybe diversify their skill set. But I've yet to meet somebody whose entire job consists of that. Exactly. I've written a lot of copy throughout my my career, and 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 I don't think I'm atypical. What I really enjoy doing is the long form copy, that sort of big idea copy. But this sort of routine uh, direct response copy that needs to be sent out over and over and over with a high frequency gets very, very repetitive. And usually those tasks are relegated to junior people in, in the team. And, you know, even the best copywriter on the planet has an off day. So what we're actually doing is we're alleviating the, the least favorite task, which humans are not well suited to just because we we get sort of desensitized or we, we just sort of get bored of doing the same thing over and over. Uh-huh. So we take away that burden. And we let humans focus on the copy that humans are good at, you know. So that sort of, you know, longer form stuff, or the sort of, you know, uh, catchy strapline stuff, which which sort of guides entire campaigns. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And it's not even that you are taking away that particular non-value adding task. I mean, you're making it even better because now you're mm-hmm. combining the machine, the skills of the machine, to make the best headlines and the best push phrases. Plus the the, the the intelligence of the of the of the human part, which is about long long yeah the, the long term. How do you say it?
0: Yeah, the overarching sort of commercial and messaging strategy exactly. is going to be defined by humans, and and that's a task that's very well suited to, to humans because you have to create something sort of like brand new, and machines aren't well suited for that. But the point is, you know, what people think is they think, oh, you know, machines are going to start writing movies and like, you know, they're going to write the great American novel. And that, that's not going to happen in my lifetime, your lifetime, in my great great grandkids lifetime. But what machines are well suited to are performing specific tasks at scale. So phrasing with, with its two, two bits of tech, we can generate copy at scale, uh, which is indistinguishable from humans. So from that respect, we are equal to humans because you, you can't tell that if a human wrote it or a phrase wrote it. But where phrasey is better than humans is predicting what works and what doesn't, and this yeah. is the real key. Is humans at scale? If you show them, you know, ten choices and go, which one do you think is best? They're gonna pick the one that they like the best, or they're or they're, they're gonna you know apply all this sort of cognitive bias which has been built into our systems over yeah. over lifetimes, and like basically they've got a very very small probability of being right one time and even lower probability of being right time and time again. That's the real power of phrasing.
1: Yeah, and that results in, well, more opens, more clicks, more conversion. I mean,
0: that's the trick behind it. Exactly, exactly. And like, like the um, key is, you know, I mean, we all get emails, we all get Facebook ads, we all get push messages. And if the language sucks in the first place, then nobody sees what's inside. So all the effort you spend on the campaign is wasted. What we do is we ensure your uh, return on advertising spend is squeezed, made as effective as possible. Yeah, interesting.
1: So, from the aha moment to where you are, where you are right now, I'm almost four years in business. What do you believe was the yeah the the most differentiating thing you put into the
0: product? Oh, that's a well, when we first started, our, our ambition was to be this sort of like one size fits all. Come into Frazy, swipe your credit card, give us a hundred bucks a month, and, and we were gonna be instant billionaires. That hasn't quite happened yet. So we, we realized though that what people didn't want was a one size fits all solution. Because we're talking about language here. We're talking about using language to communicate your brand purpose, to communicate your, your commercial messaging. You cannot simply just copy and paste something from somewhere else. You can't have a, a generic database of language that's used throughout the world and across lots of different companies. Like that's, that's a fallible strategy. So we realized that early on and about maybe five months in to our, our company's life, we pivoted and we started building tailored language models on a brand-to-brand basis. And once we started doing that uh, is when we really started to get some real customers on board and when we started to get real results for customers. Um, So that, like from a product standpoint, was a a big learning for us early on. Um, As we've matured as a company, a big shift for us in the last sort of 12 or 18 months is we realized the models which we've built and the technology we've built has a huge amount of cross-domain applications.
1: Yeah, gotcha.
0: Yeah,
1: it's interesting. I mean, I've I've heard this story a couple of times now, uh, whereby you you start out on an initial idea and then, well, when the, the product is there and the market is uh, is responding, you you realize you're you know you have to pivot. So so what did you learn from that from that experience, that that pivot moment, and and that, yeah, I mean, what what was the decision to say okay, now it's this is the the a different route we have to go to, and we have to invest in that.
0: That's a good question. It's a bit of a tough one. I think what we, we ultimately learned is that, you know, you got to try out a bunch of stuff and then once you find something that works, you got to double down on it. But I, I guess the real key for us is like we had, we, we launched our product. We had, we, we, we have had a sort of a limited beta of it. We didn't charge people for it. We had like maybe 250 people, Log in and make accounts. And like, I personally wound up speaking to maybe 100 or 120 of them just to get feedback. And I think like that is the absolute key. I mean, what, what you quite often find for like a, a purely product led company, you'll make choices based upon what is feasible from the engineering team. Yeah. Whereas we, we never really necessarily worried about the feasibility early on, we worried about finding the problem that, that people were facing and then building a solution to that problem. So I mean, man, I spoke to a lot of people who basically said our product sucked at first, and they were right. And a bunch of those people, for example, Superdry, a uh, the fellow there was one of our first uh, guys who logged in on our beta use, and now he's one of our sort of lead customers, and you know talks about us all the time when he's you know doing conferences and stuff like that. So it just shows, like you know, you know, the the customer is absolutely king. Maybe that sounds like an '80s phrase, but the '80s were a great decade.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's fun. that's fascinating, especially when customers start kind of to use your product as something, you know, that, that makes them look better, uh, makes them shine. <laughs> that's yeah. what you want to have as a, as a product company. So, I mean, one of the phrases I, I was always impressed with from, from Steve Jobs was that innovation is not about what you do, but innovation is not actually about what you what you do not do. Were there any things that you dismissed to stay on the track, to stay on the vision?
0: Oh yeah, so when we first started, we had a whole bunch, bunch of people say, "Well, this would be cool, but it would be much better if you did it for this." I mean, for I don't know, like AdWords or Twitter or or all this stuff. And and we were even like offered offered money to do stuff on on these various channels, and we we kept an absolute laser focus on becoming a dominant player in one market. And I think like that's that's one one easy thing, I mean, a great story here is we we were in a pitch contest, oh about yeah three and a bit years ago, and it was sponsored by a big corporate. I'm not going to name names because we're we're about to close them as a customer, but and the prize of this pitch contest was a fifty thousand dollar contract with them to be in their incubator, and we finished second, and at first, I was like really mad, I don't like finishing second, you know. But in hindsight, that was the best place we could have finished in. Because if you finish first, you're then in their incubator, and you build a product specific to their business needs, and nobody else's. Instead, we had to hustle. We had to get customers. And we had to build a product with wide appeal. So yeah, just that laser focus, and just not building stuff unless customers want it.
1: Exactly. That's that's what is really yeah. What is really the key? I mean, I'm currently writing a blog about. You know kind of what you're just telling me and and what I also see in the marketplace of companies that have, that have been longer around which would actually get a, have an advantage in terms of the functionality they possibly have, but it seems that they just wind down into an, a vicious cycle of just becoming less and less attractive, and I think it has to do with that you know that that they don't stay on on laser focus on the on the goal on the vision so that's no,
0: you're, you're, you're absolutely right and and the example in the news as we record this today, is the failure of Blipper, the AR company here in, uh, in uh, London. And, uh, and they were actually doing pretty good. They had hit profitability at one stage even. But then various investors and, and, and senior executives and whoever, I don't know the whole story, said, okay, we have to take a AI route. So they, they like opened up an office in Mountain View, California, and hired up a bunch of million-dollar AI researchers. In 2017, they, they had a loss of £30 million, pounds, which was uh, a lot of money. And sadly, they went into administration this morning, which, you know, the company doesn't exist. And and what they did is they sort of had, you know, a big, they built a great solution, but couldn't find the problem they were trying to solve with, with that solution. We've taken the opposite approach and knock on wood will work we'll on strongly, but, you
1: know. It starts with the problem. It starts with something valuable rather than interesting. And in many, in many cases, you make the mistake to go after the big shiny object and you end up wrong. So, I mean, going that route of hustling and building a product and then selling it to real customers, what did you learn out of the selling
0: process? Well, yeah. So, like, our first, oh, I don't know, 20 customers, I sold personally. And I think that that's absolutely key. I mean, if you're going to run and scale a company, you need to know exactly what people want what they're saying and that was basically oh man i must have done 150 200 demos in that first maybe year and a half yeah and like i mean i've not done a demo for some time i mean we've scaled up quite effectively and we have quite a quite a robust commercial operation but i i was actually in uh, california seeing a partner of ours uh last week and i actually had to log in and do a demo and it all sort of comes back to you And like once you're in there you, you just sort of get it. I think it's really important from, from a leadership standpoint, you can't be detached from what people are actually paying you for. True. Yeah. But yeah, with, with the actual sales process, I mean, what I learned is, you know, we just need to really really define what the customer's problem is. And then often what I've also learned is saying no is really important. Sometimes, you know, we get people who want to use us, but the problem isn't defined they just want to use us cuz we're cool cuz it's like a cool product so sometimes walking away from from a deal will make you more money in the long run
1: yeah yeah i agree that's spot on because then then you also don't end up with this little tweak here and a little tweak there to make it fit for them you know yeah. you want to get, go for your ideal customer that goes that wants to pay a premium for the thing that you that is standard so it's absolutely you know, that's the, the holy grail of product development, product strategy. So from all your lear- the learnings that you've that you've had, what are the I mean if you would advise a well, CEO or CMO? I mean who do you typically sell to? Is that the CMO?
0: Uh yeah, so it's usually VP level plus who sign okay. the checks.
1: So I mean if you would give them advice in terms of what you've seen in the sales process and the marketing process, what should VPs Start to do different, or, or what? What different questions should they ask themselves in order to well uh, or to stay relevant in this particular space?
0: Yeah, well, well, I think there's a couple of things there. I mean, in the last sort of 10 years, marketing has fallen down this sort of Excel-driven attribution rabbit hole, where every dollar gets spent. You need to get X percent back. And especially with online advertising, there's so many different ways you can measure. I mean, on Facebook, there's like 20 different metrics you can track or something, right? Yeah. And, and and so they'll focus on one and go, we need to optimize this, we need to optimize that, and focus all of their efforts starting that. And I get why from a budgetary standpoint, but from a marketing standpoint, it defies a bit of logic. So like, you know, when's the last time you like walked into a corner store and went to the, went to the the fridge, you pulled out, you know, you looked at all of the options there and you said to yourself, you know, walking here, I saw a big billboard for Coca-Cola. So I'd like to get a bottle of that sweet nectar. And then you go and you get it and you pay. That's not how brains work. That's not how marketing works. The old old adage, like 50% of marketing works, we just don't know which and and people try to over measure stuff and the opportunity cost of over measuring stuff is that you're missing a whole bunch of brand placements so my personal advice is like there's some some clear obvious facts right if more people see your see your emails if more people click on your facebook ads if more people open your app from push messages that's a good thing if they don't buy your products then there's a fundamental problem but the purpose of push marketing is to get people to your sites so i think you know marketers would benefit from being less driven by short-term numbers and more driven by the the overarching sort of behavioral theory that that drives marketing. The second thing, which I think needs to change, is the uh, procurement process for new vendors within many large organizations uh, can be quite long and arduous. And it becomes a very sort of adversarial process. which sort of sets like relationships up on a bit of a bad foot so i i don't really know what the answer is there but the problem with this process is that they hate it we hate it and then once that's done you know a month after you know agreeing commercials and stuff you kind of need to kick things off again and it just sort of it slows down it slows down the entire process for both sides and it just it's terribly inefficient i guess it is from what i can tell lawyers get paid by by the words, so um, you know i certainly don't want to put them out of business
1: <laughs> well there's going to be some ai that will help them to write natural language contracts so
0: i i i will find the man or woman who creates that piece of ai and i will buy them a beer and things <laughs> yeah
1: i can imagine that yeah yeah so from all the things that you've seen so far what are you most proud of in terms of product or anecdote from customers
0: Oh definitely neither the thing i'm most proud of is is the team we've uh, built here i mean we're up to 51 people like like a product is just a product right you know i don't like like wake up each morning and go oh my god i can't wait to create more subject lines you know what what i think is really cool though is is we've created a new industry we've created new job categories we've created something from absolutely nothing and we've got a team of 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 people i mean the average age i think is about 32 uh about two-thirds of them are female like we were a very atypical technology company And i'm really proud of that we're just showing that you know you don't have to do what's been done before you know the, the world is a wide place and just because some like you know fancy expert in a store-bought suit says you're supposed to do something doesn't mean you have to do it like that
1: yeah true so how about, how, how does that that diversity and also that's that, that difference in terms of how you've structured the organization how did that play into benefits
0: yeah so like my uh, two co-founders there's Dr. Neil Jagger who I mentioned and then Victoria Pepiat so we're already sort of diverse from from day one our first two employees were both in their 20s one was a male one was a female they're both still working with us and then like we're a language company and for Many years, language uh, and specifically linguistics have been thought of as a sort of historically female domain. So as we started building our tech team, our linguistics team, we actually realized that there's a huge market, a huge labor pool of, of women who are very experts at formal linguistic theory and yet there just wasn't many jobs for them to move into aside from the traditional groups, like being a translator or being a teacher. So from, from my standpoint, we've never, we've honestly never made an effort to like hire more women or hire people from different socioeconomic classes or hire people from outside of the UK. Yep. We've never even focused on that. It just so happens that the best people for the job come from, you know, a majority female. They're from, you know, um, every class-based structure, every every sort of ethnicity you can think of. Okay. Um, it's just sort of happened by accident. And I think that's really cool.
1: Yeah, ex- exactly. That's why I was all, uh, kind of asking a second question on it. So, so what is next for you? You're now here almost four years uh, in business. What is your next big aspiration with this? Well,
0: we've recently opened up an office in... Uh, San Francisco, and and I think uh, from a commercial standpoint, taking our solution to the U.S. Is, is a main focus for us right now. We just closed a $4 million Series A round a few months back. So what what we're doing as well is we're bringing in a whole bunch of uh, senior leaders to help sort of uh, professionalize our operations. You know, we've stopped being a startup. We're, we're effectively a scale-up. We're growing, I think last year we grew like 286%. We've got, you know, 51 staff globally. So this year is really about scaling product standpoint. We've got a number of really cool things in the pipeline right now, which our engineering team and our data science working on in the background. Now I don't want to tempt fate, but we got some really cool stuff coming in the pipe. So my first ambition was to have a swipe your credit card and be a billionaire. That's not going to happen. Instead, I've got an awesome firm, which I walk into each day, and it just really makes me smile. I think that's actually a pretty cool way to run a business.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's the way it should be. So if there's anyone on this podcast that could possibly help, what would you ask? How can they help you? I have no idea. <laughs> okay, that's also an answer. Possibly you, uh, you're interested maybe to, to get feedback on certain things or whatever. But uh, if there's nothing, there's nothing.
0: No, I'm uh, from 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 my um, standpoint. We, like we we sort of we take advice from from lots of places, and it's sometimes wanted and sometimes not. And I think from 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 my standpoint, I I wouldn't even say it's necessarily help which it needs. So I'd say our key is to just get our message out there that you know AI ain't coming to take your job. What it's doing is is to is taking away those crappy jobs that nobody wants to do in the first place, letting people focus on being awesome. So anything you can do to get that message out there would be awesome. That's the whole purpose of
1: this podcast. Every single week again. So message heard and uh, you're preaching to the converted. So where can people go to find out more about Frazy
0: and say hi to you? I would recommend going to our website. Obviously it's uh, Frazy.co. just Google Frazee or put in Frazee.co, or you can use Bing if you'd like. You can pop into our office if you want to have a coffee. We're based in Vauxhall in London, in downtown San Francisco. We also got a guy based in Reykjavik, Iceland. Um, oh. But I wouldn't recommend going there right now because the sun never comes up. You can follow us on Twitter. And what I'd recommend, actually, uh, is to sign up to our newsletter, which has uh, tens of thousands of people on it now. And it's just like, it's really cool. It really evokes what our corporate mantra is. We talk about serious stuff, but in, in an approachable way. And I think that's what AI needs. We don't need a bunch of, uh, you know, pencil neck geeks, like talking about, you know, how it's going to come and like, you know, the robots are going to take over, you know, we need to be approachable with, with this stuff, we need to humanize this technology. And I think our newsletter does a good job of doing that.
1: Okay, I'm going to do that. Definitely. And hopefully other people as well. So thank you. This was uh, really interesting, Perry. I wrote down a lot of things that that uh, triggered me. Thanks for, for making the time for this. Cool. Thanks, Thanks for having me. me. The pleasure was fully on my side, Perry. And for everybody listening today, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Perry Mom, co-founder and CEO of Frazy. The goal of this podcast is to share compelling ideas and showcases to inspire what can be when technology and people blend in the right way. It's my strong belief that too much focus is put on automating people out of a process, in other words, cutting costs, rather than scenarios where the unique strength of people are augmented with technology to change the established rules and to deliver a value that was unimaginable before. So with this podcast, I want to make a contribution to change this, to create a broader awareness of what can be, to accelerate the adoption by bringing together you, a tribe of like-minded people and organizations. And lastly, to accelerate the initiatives and solutions that could be created because one idea inspires the other. So if you know about stories that are worth sharing, please send me a message. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas and that starts with you. If you want to have more information, read my blogs or obtain information on working with me, just visit me on my website, valueinspiration.com. Thank you for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast, or provide me with your feedback. I'll see you shortly in a new episode.
0: That's what